Welcome to a special edition of We Only Pod When We're Winning. We'll be speaking to a New South Wales-based coach, coaches of juniors and women's football, Pete Novikowski, and laying tribute to Sir Bobby Robson. We Only Pod When We're Winning. Pete, thank you for uh, giving us your time this afternoon. No worries. Thank you very much. It's awesome to be back on and uh, chatting some football with you, Paul. Oh, it's been a little. It's been too long, mate. Too long. Now you have been a football coach for a while, but I want to know how you started your football journey, mate. How old were you? Um, what club did you play for when you were growing up? Look, uh, local team. I actually didn't actually start playing for ten years old. Um, I was one of those really scrawny little tiny kids, uh, and my parents were always worried I'd kind of injure myself if I ended up jumping in too early. So I grew up playing for Bankstown RSL Dragons, and uh, the under-13s was kind of my first year of playing. So I've been uh, kicking a ball ever since. And you've played indoor, you've played futsal, you've done a whole heap of stuff, but a lot of people know you for a bit of media work as well. And and how did you get into that? I know that's a bit of a uh, different story for people as well. Yeah, exactly right. I've been involved in uh, coaching futsal and uh, MPL football for, uh, looks like we're coming up for nine years now. So, um, yeah, basically I, I started off in football with a really weird scenario where I was actually, I found a jacket at the Sydney Football Stadium which belonged to uh, a guy from, uh, to be blunt, I had no idea who he was at the time. It turned out to be Matt Greenlaw from the football sack. Um, ended up finding uh the media box to be able to hand it in and so you could collect it later on and it was at that point that I kind of started interacting with the football sack which ironically just celebrated their their 10th birthday just the other week so it was a great opportunity to uh, really kick start my career in football journalism Uh, first as a, a writer and a digital communications guy running the twitter and doing some twitter commentary which was fantastic fun then uh, I actually got the chance to be able to work for Football New South Wales, redesign their uh, website and kind of kickstart their digital media campaigns. And it was at that point that I basically got a knock on the shoulder back in 2012 that Bankstown City FC wanted to introduce a women's state league team and they wanted me to come on board uh, to kind of uh, act as a women's football convener to help start up their program. And it was at that point I kind of fell in love with coaching. And, I mean, we could expand on this story and we will in, in coming, uh, coming episodes. But being, uh, I think, at the vanguard of, of uh, junior women's football as well, because even though it's only eight years ago, uh, if we go back to many um, women's sports back at that time, um, not many people were giving them the time of day that they deserved. And I think people yeah, like yourself I, I agree, really yeah. expose that as well. Yeah, definitely agree. I think that you can see... There was kind of a, a start of a boom of interest. Like I remember turning up to Matilda's game against China and I think it would have been like 2010 and the game was played as kind of a, a curtain raiser for, I can only assume was a Socceroos game and there weren't too many people in the stadium and it was at that point, I actually was at that game with my dad and he and I basically just went, wow, okay, the, this women's national team is actually decent. And it was kind of – that's what kind of kick-started my whole love and my dedication towards women's football and trying to promote the sport as best as possible and trying to create the next generation of Matildas. 
And the the Matildas have been unbelievable, and and every state and territory can can boast a number of uh, women's league players that have gone on to play for the Matildas, and and that's amazing. And their journey um, in Asia and around the world is not really celebrated the way it should be. And I think it's people like yourself who are really helping. Um, but their own style of play um, basically sells them as well. They're such a fun team to watch. Yeah, and it, look, there's no better time than think about the last six months. There, there haven't been so many Matildas making moves to head overseas. You look at the big clubs like the Chelsea um, signing Sam Kerr, you look at Catlin Ford at Arsenal, even Hayley Razzo at Everton, uh, you've got uh, Emily Gilnick over at Bayern Munich, uh, you've got heaps of players who are now heading over to the likes of Iceland and Norway, um, Spain's picking up, Italy's picking up with Lisa Devana over at Fiorentina and uh, Alex Chidiak over in Spain at Atletico Madrid. Um, this is really starting to pick up some steam. And look, in a way, I have to worry about the fact that we're not going to have any big name players play in the next W League season. But you have to celebrate the fact that the Matildas are on such a high at the moment that it's just really exciting the fact that they can play professional football over in Europe. And mix it up um, the same way that the women's NB, uh, NBL and so forth have done, be able to play almost mixed seasons. And it's exciting because they're, they're travelling, they're actually earning decent money, and uh, I think it's about time. And I really loved some of the players you highlighted there as well. So you are a football coach, as we mentioned, and, and, and I suppose with COVID and, and other issues happening at the moment, there's been some unique coaching challenges. Can you tell us about some of those? Yeah, exactly right. So pretty much when we finished in, I oh, would have been the second weekend in March, we actually played a game against Northwest Sydney Koalas up at their home ground at Christie Park. And we got the message basically on the Sunday night saying training won't be going ahead this week. So we kind of all went, okay, let's just have a week off. We'll see what happens. And that's when we kind of knew that things were getting pretty serious in terms of our lockdown. We didn't know exactly how long we would be shut down for like everyone else, but um, I personally started sending off messages to the players to say, look, here is a four-week training program to be able to do at home, but this isn't locked in. So it's entirely up to you guys to decide. Now, I work with another 17s team, so I give them a lot of choice. I've worked with them for about the last two or three years. A lot of those players have really grown up with me. So I gave them a lot of freedom to say, look, you can do this program by yourself or if you prefer, let's just get on FaceTime and we'll get the whole team together and we'll all do a workout together. And that's what they decided they wanted to do. So three times a week, we were getting on a FaceTime call for about 45 minutes to an hour. We do a workout for probably 30 minutes. We share jokes and make fun of each other for about the next 30 minutes, but man, it was brilliant fun. Um, yeah. And as soon as we were able to get back on the field together as small groups, it, it was actually kind of funny watching the the dynamic. Um, with 16 players, we had to split into two groups of eight. And so group one was started teasing group two on <laughs> Instagram messages and group two had their own Snapchat chat discussions and all this kind of stuff. Oh, mate, it, it's just got really funny. So I'm looking forward to the dynamic as the two groups get to merge together this week. And and you've also had um obviously you know uh, talks with other coaches around the country and and how's that how, how do you think that dynamics worked? 
Yeah, look, it, it's been really enjoyable. So I've spent the last few weeks, especially talking with uh, a couple of coaches over in the UK, a couple of coaches over in Norway, as well as in the US. And we've been able to share some resources. So um, massive shout out to a guy, Pete Prickett, over in the UK, who uh, some people might know him as kind of the 3v3 specialist in football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he and I have uh, really connected over the last few weeks to put out a whole lot of session plans, which are perfect for small groups to be able to do. And realistically, you can have – in each country, it's been different. So in Norway, they started off as four players and one coach. Uh, we obviously started with nine players and one coach. And there are some countries who are now going into full contact and full competition. So because there was no – global standard the way that we designed our sessions and the way that we started advertising sessions online and sharing resources was to make it as easily adaptable as possible and that's i suppose there always has to be a silver lining and and you know whether it's people finding um zoom and and other ways to uh work from home or you know in in your case finding coaching sessions there has been that silver lining where we've seen adaptive practices and that's got to be exciting for coaching going forward i agree because the thing is look it'd be really easy to set up a training session where it's literally just here's a ball passing a ball between two or three players it's really static there's no decision making going on or you can have a challenge and try and make a 4v4 decision-making heavy ecological based game where there's lots of decisions going on. It's chaos at times. It's really enjoyable. There's two ways you can go about it. And personally, I prefer like if the players are laughing and enjoying themselves, then it's obvious that they're trying to learn something along the way. So that is really important to me. And that approach of having fun, safe and inclusive environments in football that's for me the way forward. And 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 even at the higher levels, you know, we see fear of um, failure, whereas it should be the excitement of what could be, um, you know, what could be achieved. And you know, you see that with the Matildas, they they look at what can be achieved. And I think the Socceroos uh, at the moment, and I'm no expert as you know, but I see the Socceroos as being scared of not getting to the next level, and the Matildas are what's the next challenge? And so that that yeah. you can see it at every level. Exactly right. I like to use the scenario of, um, you know, the ceiling and that's above you. The Socceroos kind of see the ceiling and go, yep, that's where we are. But the Matildas, it's actually a glass roof. So they can see through and they know what's coming next or they have an idea that they can go above and beyond the ceiling because they know that there's something tangible there. So I like to use that analogy because, look, there's so much growth and so much potential here. Um, we could, again, look at the downer of the fact that there are so many Matildas who won't be playing in the W League next season, or we can celebrate the fact that this is going to be the perfect opportunity to showcase the next generation of young Matildas coming through, or junior Matildas, to show off all the players who play in the MPL space who have been dominating in this short time who now will get the chance to be able to shine. I 100% agree with you there. So we've got um, A-League resuming. um, They're going to be having, I believe, what, 28 games in 27 days. I could be wrong there. Um, Yeah, you're exactly right. Thoughts thoughts on the A-League actually resuming? And and have they been visible? Have they been auditory enough uh, in a very crowded sporting space? 
Well, you have to think about what the other sports have been doing. So NRL have already kicked off. AFL's already kicked off. A-League looks like they're the last ones to the party. And it's kind of disappointing in that sense. But at the same time, the message also came out yesterday that the A-League would be playing with or without the support of Fox Sports. Yes. So, look, whether that goes ahead and whether or not we'll get to see any broadcast, even today all over Twitter, most of the discussion was, I'll only renew my KO membership if I know that it's going to be broadcast, if the A-League's going to be shown on KO Sports. If it's not, then there's no point renewing because, look, there's such a big audience who do want to watch it. It's such a passionate and uh, open and honest audience who enjoy the A-League. But I feel like it's it's an intangible product at the moment. We We... We act that the A-League is this hugely premium product, but at the same time, we forget that the, the grassroots game, the game that everyone knows and loves and feels passionate about, that's why we fell in love with the game. So there's, there's this disconnect that quickly needs to be fixed up. So as soon as the games do restart and we do have this mammoth 27 games in 28 days – then this actually becomes a massive festival of football. And there has to be a marketing behind it that gets everyone involved, that gets people wanting to show off their team colours, that gets people actually, you know, not feeling embarrassed about wearing an A-League kit and instead doesn't want to wear their Premier League or their Bundesliga jersey and instead says, no, 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 I'll happily wear the uh, Melbourne Victory shirt this week or I'll happily show off my Perth Glory colours. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, that that comes into the uh, football resumption around the world. We had the K-League kickoff, um, uh, I believe, as one of the first major competitions. A couple smaller ones had had played through. Um, And then we had, obviously, the, uh, the Bundesliga, now La Liga's, um, resumed. Um, what have you thought about that and have you have had a chance to have a look at some of those games at this stage? Well, look, it was really interesting watching Germany restart their football and how they went about with their protocols. Basically, they set out uh, as a league and as the, the DFB who control German football, they basically set out a guideline to say, look, if you want football to go ahead, this is what needs to happen from every single club in terms of protocol on arrival, protocol in change rooms, protocol in terms of how the footballs are being managed. There were such strict guidelines that if anyone did deviate, then there would be human, uh, like massive impact for everyone else in the league. So too many people were too scared to be the ones who made the first mistake. And in a way, that's been a really big positive for the Bundesliga because now the league's being able to, you know, go ahead. Um, From a physiological point of view, there's obviously lots of debates in terms of can you really kickstart a season when players have only had, you know, two weeks of non-contact training, one week of contact training, and then suddenly you're thrown into what is considered one of the top tiers of competition in a global sport. So... That's obviously been an issue and a question mark that's been popping up. But we have to say, if, if that's considered best practice over in Europe and the the project restart over in the Premier League is following what the Bundesliga has put in place, then we have to suggest that would be something similar for here in the A-League to model, that we have to be something similar for the other leagues in the world to model as well. Yes, certainly. And I've actually really enjoyed the quality. I was, I was quite... Um... I won't say pleasantly surprised. I expected the Bundesliga to be a high standard, but it 
really has been some very good quality games. It's been enjoyable for me. And and because the stadiums uh, generally um, for a lot of teams are a bit smaller as well, it's a good TV product. So, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've been so excited to have it back. Have you been one of the uh, few who have said no crowd noise or pro crowd noise based on FIFA recordings? Look, I've been a bit of... <laughs> It, de- it depends on how well the uh, the person who's been putting the sound in has been doing because some of the Bundesliga, they've done it really well. It's been understated. Um, so I've kind of enjoyed it and I've tried it without the sound and it's, I don't know, it's really weird, mate. I'm uh, game to game, depending on how it's done. Um, rugby league, for example, I've really enjoyed the crowd noise. AFL, whoever's doing that has no idea what the crowd actually does in a game. <laughs> Yeah, I can definitely understand that because similar thing over um, the Premier League with their games restarting, Optus Sport have basically said Optus 1 will have the crowd noise, Optus 2 will have no crowd noise. But then you have to kind of weigh up, are you one who enjoys the echo of a ball being kicked around or like one of my favourite sounds in the known universe is the sound of a ball hitting the back of the net and how it just riffles that net as it falls down that's a magical sound so i could love to capture that the rest of the sounds personally i couldn't really care about i don't want to hear all the players screaming out i don't want to hear the ball being knocked around from side to side and to be blunt i don't really care about hearing the the coach's instructions from the sideline <laughs> you hear enough of that Cam, in Michael, uh, like Michael hear enough of that in my own head so like I personally really am looking forward to hearing what the crowd noise is going to be like and how it's maintained and what the DJ behind the sounds is going to be doing to maintain that kind of realistic and as authentic as possible experience. I'm going to be flipping between the two, but uh, what I've enjoyed about the AFL is hearing the football kicked. You can actually hear a pure kick and you can hear one that's uh, uh, not quite right. In the rugby league, the actual physical contact as they hit each other on the line you 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 i've had more appreciation of how hard the guys hit each other um and you're right the striking of the back of the net the old uh, the old onion sack as we'd uh, some people would call it um has been amazing like you can tell when a ball has been hit purely, purely as well yep exactly right exactly right now i know you're more about football than you are about your teams but you you've been a, a long time sydney fc supporter and who else do you follow around the world there Pete? jeez uh long list we've got a while to go here so uh look over in over in the uk i am a liverpool fan have been basically since the harry keel days over there he, he was kind of one of the deciding factors when i started following football so, yeah, massive Liverpool fan. I'm going to stop you right there. Of... I'm going to stop you right there. I, I love how Liverpool fans right now have to justify their uh, their following. So, it's, uh, mate, it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, no one's a bandwagoner, that's for well, sure. Give us... We've all followed since we were born. Give us your uh, – just for the uh, audience who don't know you well enough there, Pete, how old are you? I am 30 years old. Yes. So for you to say that you started following them at, at that period of time, I think is completely acceptable. And even if you followed them last year, it doesn't really matter, does it? In the end, it's your personal preference. Exactly right. And as long as there's football fans out there who are keen to just enjoy the game, sensational. And who are you more uh, – give us some of your obscure teams from other parts of the world. Oh, geez. Okay. Big fan of um, – well – Big fan of watching over in Poland, uh, my local team, Wisła Um So one of my 
my grandmother's brother actually played for them uh, many, many moons ago. So, yeah, Vidze Fuch over in Poland, big fan of watching them play their football. Uh, if we look over in the US, I I do enjoy watching Portland Timbers uh, apply their trade. Yeah, and you're probably and a Thorns fan as well. Yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Um, but look, look again. I like the Thorns. They've always got some amazing kits. Twenty odd thousand really a game as well. I mean, amazing. Exactly. So, um, shows women's sport. Uh, I mean, Amer- Americans. Um, People say they don't follow football yet. The MLS and the uh, the women's football league there are getting massive crowds. Compared, they could have been a top five in the world. Yeah, spot on, exactly right. Um, but we'll probably see, and as disheartening as it may be, we, this is probably going to be the decline of women's football in the US over the next three or four years. This will be the rise of European yeah. women's football, and as for the men's. They're under some really big issues. Uh, there's a lot going on in the men's side of the U.S. national team. So, yeah, I don't see them being as successful over the next few World Cup campaigns. No, certainly, and a lot of uh, pay issues and so forth there as well. Um, Pete, a couple of players you would have loved to have seen live. Jeez. Um, I don't know. To be blunt... Um, it's a tough one like, to throw you. <laughs> it is a really tough one. Look... Bastion's Feinsteiger would be kind of that dominant midfield kind of rock that I really enjoy watching as a footballer. Um, I'm a big fan of the likes of uh, Jaden Sancho in the front third for Borussia Dortmund and for England's national team. He's really enjoyable to watch. And... Oh. What about a couple of retired players? A couple of players that you, you know, who would have you have loved to have seen that obviously they're not playing now? If you could go back in time or bring them to this time, I mean, obviously people would say potentially Maradona or Palais and so forth. Is there anyone like Franz Beckenbauer, anyone like that you would have loved to have seen? You know what? Probably kind of the maestro of French football in um, Michel Platini. Oh, I can't believe I missed that one. Absolutely. There might have been Zico as well. I can throw that one in there. But um, yeah. I would have loved to have seen these guys play in the modern game, that low centre of gravity. The, the the vision, I think, translates to any generation. Even Gianfranco Zola, uh, I think that he would have been probably one of the most exciting – well, he's, he's considered the most exciting foreigner to ever play in the Premier League. I think that if you got to see him live and his influence on and off the ball – that would have been game-changing. Now, venues you'd love to visit, a couple uh, venues that you would absolutely, if money, if border controls weren't an issue, is there a couple of venues you'd love to go and watch football? Look, I personally actually just like watching football at your local park or in the street. I just enjoy, you know, watching football in whatever environment there is. Um, So... Most people would say, oh, I want to go to Anfield. Yep. I want to go to Wembley. Like, to be blunt, I've done the stadium tours. I've been there for games. I've seen it. Yes, it's nice and it gives you the, the you know, the tingles in your back of your neck. But you know what? Nothing's more exciting than last year I was in Milan and in the streets, in the out the front of Duomo, yep. Um, just playing football with some of my friends. Like, literally, we just put down our bags and we started – just kicking a ball around and suddenly you had like 30 people come over and we ended up playing like almost 
like a 10 v 10 game plus a whole lot of like cheer squad around the side of us and little things like that that to me is so much more authentic to what the football experience is than going to a venue when it's it's like a once in a lifetime type of experience absolutely agree with you uh pete how can people get you on social media like what what's your twitter handle there Geez, uh, so Pete Novakovsky would be the easiest way to uh, reach out. So uh, that's N-O-W-A-K-O-W-S-K-I. More than happy to jump on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram and have a chat to basically anyone about football. Uh, Recently, I've been finding out a whole lot about strength and conditioning, about uh, player welfare, mental strength training, and uh, the difference between skill acquisition and skill adaptation. So they're kind of the uh, main topics which have been floating around in my social media recently. Well, we've got a few um, nicknames that we'll have to um, bring out for you later later this year. But, Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I hope we can have you on uh, our podcast again down the track and talk about a bit more about your coaching philosophies. And, and I love that you're still a student of the coaching game um, and you are never scared to um, give your experiences to others. And, and that's an absolute credit to yourself. Thanks very much. I feel that basically if I never got the chance to be able to play the professional game, I have to learn as much as possible about the professional game to kind of benefit and make up for that. So definitely a student of the game and definitely happy to share experiences and knowledges with everyone. Well, thanks for joining us again, Pete, and we will speak to you again. See you soon. See you soon. Mate, that when we talk about great managers, it's very hard to not put Sir Bobby Robson right there, but he was also a very good footballer. Uh, 583 appearances for clubs such as Fulham and West Brom, and 133 goals as an inside forward. He made uh, 20 appearances for England as well, from 1957 to 62, scoring four goals. Managed Fulham, Ipswich Town, managed England for a number of years. PSV Eindhoven, Sporting CP, Porto, Barcelona, PSV Eindhoven and obviously Newcastle as well. What a sensational coach with some of the best quotes you'll uh... Sir Bobby took over the club like it's a big, 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 big ship you know, transatlantic, so it's not easy to, to, to handle Barcelona especially, especially in that period For Bobby Robson to have to follow Johan Cruyff, you would think crikey, that's a, what a pair of boots to fill Cruyff brought the world to Boston. He transformed the way football's played in Spain. He transformed a club that hadn't won the European Cup. And all of a sudden, the game was different. To find someone like Bobby Robson, I will say that it's nearly impossible. He arrived like if he was in Barcelona for the last 20 years. He arrived, uh, okay, okay, oh. We were a big international community in the club. And he was able to manage everyone. He was able to know every single problem of each player and try to help everyone. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Wangley Pod when we're winning. We're going to have a special edition with the boys back just on the Premier League Eve return. So don't forget to listen to Wangley Pod when we're winning.